But it is St. Patrick's Day, so it is uh, the two-year anniversary yeah. of you coming to Boston. I was going to say that, too. Oh, it's been so long. <laughs> I know. It's weird. You know what I was thinking about, though? I was thinking about like how much the decor in my apartment has changed. Really? And, well, I mean, when you came here, I was so embarrassed because we had... We had moved in, I want to say, in, like, December, and then you came in March. March. So we, like, didn't have hardly any furniture, and our TV was, like, on top of two Rubbermaid bins, I think, at that point still. I don't remember that. I thought your apartment was really cute, so... I mean, the apartment itself <laughs> Well, I mean, even, like, the stuff. I thought, I thought you, you know, it looked ill and mess. I'm trying to remember, like, what decorations I even had, but um, so much has changed. So much new furniture, so much new, like, wall I got these. Um, I don't know if you've seen, like, basket walls before, where you, like, hang wicker baskets on the wall. Um, I got some of those, and Evan is very mad, because they're on his side of the bed, so he keeps bumping into them. (laughs) And he's like, why do we need baskets that... We're not even putting stuff in. <laughs> you sent me that like snap chat and he's like going off about everything, yes. like your decor. <laughs> he was like the decoration in our apartments like they don't make any sense like there's just random like there's tie dye this up like you have dinosaur planters everywhere and like I mean realistically all of my decor is like from strangers that I like purchased it off Facebook marketplace or things I got from like Goodwill or just dinosaur planters which I guess you know isn't like a cohesive theme but (laughs) I was like it's boho okay our place goes for like a like a industrial boho like look but it's not all put together yet (laughs) so yeah I feel like that's where I'm at like it takes time it's never put together um but it looks much better now than it did before when you guys were were here and I had people over. I'm like remembering that I had people over for St. Patrick's Day. Like, what was that like? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. Guys, leave us a review. It helps us. It helps the podcast out so much. It makes our day. You know, we have full-time jobs. This is something we're financing on our own. (laughs) It does cost money to make this um, and time, but we do it because we love it. And it would just mean so much to us if... If you left a little comment or a little review, that was a nice one. If it's not nice, then uh, just write it on a piece of paper or throw it in the trash.
and we'll donate money to the National Center for Victims of Crime. Once we crack, I think 20, 20 is, yeah. is what so we said. So five more so we can, you know, do charity, guys. It'll be great. <laughs> yes. Okay. Cool. So this, I picked the theme again. It, I I reverted back to my, my one-word themes because <laughs> I was reading a BuzzFeed article and it was about I don't even remember. Maybe like songs about crimes. Yeah. Um, and it was talking about the case uh, that that I picked that I'm doing, where um, uh, there was a song written about a school shooting event. Mm-hmm. Um, so I texted Natalie right up and I said, I want to cover this. So the topic is going to be school. Um, I'm going to be sharing a few cases of sororities and hazing. Um, Oh, wait, no way. (laughs) I am obsessed. (laughs) Um, so whether you went to college or not, or if you participated in these, like, organizations, most of us are pretty well aware of, and at least have a general understanding of what sororities and fraternities are. Um, And so these are Greek letter organizations, um, most common in undergraduate institutions, and they vary on their quote unquote purpose, um, but they often share some of the same common elements. And this is uh, pulled from Wikipedia, 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 Wikipedia friends. Um, So single sex membership, secrecy. Uh, ownership and occupation of a residential property where undergraduate members live, which I will say, and I think this might be common in other places like Alabama, I think. So I went to Auburn for undergrad, which is in Alabama, and it um, had maybe some like weird like brothel law. So like the guys Mm -hmm. could have frat houses. And so there was like old row, new row filled with like these huge houses. But then the like sororities could only have like a floor in like a dorm (laughs) see that's ridiculous i hate that yeah so that was kind of dumb um additionally there is complex identification symbols including greek letters ciphers badges hand signs um passwords flowers and colors so that all seems like a lot um and songs Oh, and songs. <laughs> I was in a sorority, so. Oh, the, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that. You're gonna be providing oh, some. Are you gonna here. throw me out? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, call oh, me it, out, rather. Yeah. And finally, um, selection of new members on the basis of a two-part vetting, pro- vetting and probationary process, known as um, rushing or pledging. Theory members often join for reasons like finding camaraderie, networking, um, professional and personal development, and to participate in like philanthropic, you know, activities. Um, and so, while that sounds great, these organizations are not without criticism. Some of which include elitism, racism, and hazing of those who are rushing or pledging. All right, Ray Ray. <laughs> Um, why did you choose to join a sorority? It's actually a funny story. So I did not want to join a sorority when, so I went to school in Oklahoma in the South. Um, Greek life is pretty big there. So it was my older sister that wanted to, and obviously there's like a rush period. And since we were going to be there at the same time, um, uh, since she was going through it, I was like, whatever, fine, I'll go through it too. Um, 
And looking back on it, you know, I feel like I got kind of sucked into the whole like rush thing. I got really excited. Um, if I were to re or be presented with the opportunity again, I don't, I don't know that I would have done it. I think mm-hmm. that based on my experience in the sorority, I don't think that I got as much out of it as I was hoping to. I had a couple close friends, but I don't really talk to to anyone anymore. Um, and overall, I think, honestly, like people were kind of mean to me. Um, in the sorority was, or because you were in the sorority? In the sorority. Okay. Um, I think because I was like the outsider, like people literally called me a Yankee and I'm like, <laughs> I'm from Illinois. It is not. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that, um, okay. I think that, uh, that was not ideal um Mm -hmm. we did have like philanthropy philanthropic events um you know there were good parts of it i think it was nice living in the house being so close to campus um you know just having something to do but also there's just so many like requirements and um sometimes i think that they did things that were more for protection of the organization rather than protection of like the members yeah i think and then just like straight up blatant racism there was our the same sorority that i was in um they got in trouble because they were on a date bus with a fraternity that was singing what is a date bus oh for like a date party um so they take buses they bus you to the locations for the date parties oh um where they would be at like a hotel like party area or whatever but they on this fraternity that the sorority was with sang an extremely explicit offensive racist song i think with like the n-word and like everything like there's no way that you could argue it of them being like stupid kids it was just like flat out terrible Mm -hmm. um and like again i think that's a a moment where i would have you know i obviously said this is wrong this is bad but like i think i should looking back i would have just removed myself from the equation and said like this is messed up this like type of group think or whatever it might be like and i did see and this is just from being in, in the south there was lots of like sexism or like racism or things that that did come up that you know i didn't agree with but didn't vocalize my opinions as to like why this is wrong so i think going back on it i would i wouldn't do it again i also want to know um to kind of tie this back into the topic a little bit um if it's legal for you to share what was your rush experience like (laughs) i don't know i guess i just like won't say the name of my sorority but also i don't have like any ties and if they banned me from their organization like i really wouldn't care i'm Mm -hmm. not active in, in any way um so rushing i think in our school is very much different from the guys versus the girls the girls is very much like okay it's like a whole week process you have to dress up differently every single day um you have to go and essentially be like interviewed at like every single house and then you say which houses you liked which ones they liked there's absolutely no drinking absolutely not allowed to to go to the bars very much like strict very highly competitive process Whereas, like, with the guys, it's like, oh, we're going to take you out to lunch and, you know, give you a couple beers, even though you're, like, 18 and, like, very much more relaxed. Yeah. So, um... So, would you say your experience was good overall? Um, it was okay. 
I mm-hmm. actually was not included in or like they use GPA as a requirement and I like <laughs> I was coming from a school in the Midwest that was like much more high caliber so my grades were on the lower end of the spectrum yeah. and they also didn't take my weighted grades mm-hmm. um, which I took quite a bit of honors classes yeah. that I didn't do like fantastic in so mm-hmm. um, my weighted GPA was like really bad and mm-hmm. I thought it was stupid going into college but it just turns out my high school was really hard and everybody else just went to dummy schools yeah, and they all there. got straight A's <laughs> um, because they just didn't know what they were doing um, so mine like wasn't the best because I just didn't have a nice like selection of sororities to choose from um, because I just got cut from so many um, but overall you know it was very much like yeah and that's where there was like this theme at my school anyway of like and I think it is kind of common like anywhere where like the guys can get away with like doing anything and like the girls are held to like a much higher standard welcome to civilization <laughs> yes <laughs> oh um cool so I'm glad that it sounds like you weren't beaten at any point no um, during- and I declined being hazed because well they were very strict like I think for for the girls at least it's like you can be hazed if you want to what does um, that mean you can be hazed if you want to well i think some that? girls liked you know oh my god drink drink a shot i'm like eh, in the sorority i'm older than you drink like and then it would be like ha 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 yeah i'm drinking but like there, you would never get like kicked out if you didn't and i was like i'm not doing that that's stupid no one ever mm-hmm. tried with me um it also there was like big littles um mm-hmm. so you get like a big sister and little sister and that's i think where like the quote-unquote hazing would happen like drink little yeah. i'm gonna buy you a shot little um verse <laughs> and like my my big was like a chill person and i was i would not let that fly because i was not i'm like i wish um, we i wish we had someone on like some one I guess on with us who like was who knows like the black sorority world because I like just hearing like some of your language I know that there are certain I know very little but like big little I think for them like like your big is like your profite or something I don't know oh interesting um there like it's like it's different so I just for my own curiosity I'd love to like see almost in real time like the comparisons of like the different experiences um but okay so (laughs) when the guys would totally get hazed and like you would absolutely probably get kicked out if you didn't go along well I guess like they couldn't kick you out. There was, there was, like, hazing rules that they were supposed to follow. Um, but, again, I think a lot of the guys, like, either A, willingly went along with it, or B, if it was, like, a Stanford prison experiment where, like, technically you can leave at any time, but, like, mm-hmm. if everybody else is doing it, then you're doing it. And they yeah. definitely had, like, more intense, like, drinking kind of hazing or, like, other... Gr- like, there was all kinds of rumors about gross things that they would have to do that you're, like, oh, they had to watch two girls, one cup, or, like, something yeah. stupid like that. Oh, <laughs> Where it's like, hypothetically, you could say no, but, and they wouldn't be able to kick you out, but at the same time, like, nobody would like you if you mm-hmm. said no. Yeah. So. Interesting. Um, yeah, I was, Jarell and I were, I was, like, just telling him some of the things that I was finding in um, the cases that I, when I was just, like, searching through cases, and mm-hmm. he just, like, he and I both, like, kind of had the same consensus of like we just don't have the personalities for this <laughs> and like you want me to do what now like no <laughs> um 
Um, but anyways. Yeah, honestly, like, the worst part was, like, you were required to go to so many events and you got fined if you didn't. And I'm yeah. like, I have three dollars. <laughs> like, you're gonna fine me for not, like, going to this charity event? Like, I need charity. <laughs> like, I feel like 90% of the, like, even just, like, social things with, you know, our, like, work friends here, um, whenever I like I'd be like yeah I'm coming and then day of I'm like I have a headache sorry guys <laughs> so well, yeah, I too, would not like, be the type of person who'd be able to commit it didn't to make it very conducive for you to like be involved in many other organizations or like there were girls who were working um you know and if you had to do like x number like we used um at uh OSU they had like these huge decks so it's like um we'd have to pomp um, so it's like chicken wire and tissue paper and it's kind of like those floats that you see except it's like it covers the entire giant lawn and we would have to do like 15 hours a week of that pumping mm-hmm. like just Jeez. sticking glue and tissue paper and chicken wire That's and so it was stupid. like you got fined if you didn't get all your hours in and it's like really people are dying <laughs> like can't we like be building a house or something that like is... this is okay. absurd all right, so on to the cases. <laughs> yes, enough of my complaining. <laughs> um, so when it comes to hazing, most um, fraternity and sorority supporters and organizational leaders um, vehemently, um, I guess, defend these organizations. Basically, um, I feel like the unanimous thing across um, most Greek letter organizations is that hazing is expressly banned. Um, and <clears throat> while this is typically true, I'm, da- I doubt that there's any sorority or any, yeah, sorority or frat that is like, hazing is okay. It's in our bylaws. Um, um, there have been many like hazing cases that are notable, mostly from fraternities, um, like quite a bit of which have like resulted in death. Um, but even though they are more common in frats, um, sororities are not completely innocent either. And so I'm going to share three like cases. Um, I'm not sharing too much detail on them because, um, I'm a busy lady. Okay. Um, and also there wasn't that much detail, which is why I chose three cases, um, to share. Um, and they're going to be in chronological order. In 2014, Nicole Dalton, Heather Haig, H-A-I-G-H, Haig, Haig, (laughs) don't ask me, Um, Heather Haig, and two other sorority members were accused of negligence for an accident that occurred in October of the previous year. Heather was the pledge master for the Sigma Kappa Omega sorority, um, which was actually unrecognized at their college, Plymouth State University. I have no idea where Plymouth State is. Would that be like Boston, Massachusetts? Plymouth Rock? I don't know. Yeah. I've never heard of it. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so based on my understanding of the pledge process, pledges are sometimes required to do a number of more or less random things. Um, so in this like case or around this time, nine of the women rushing um, Sigma Kappa Omega that year failed to do some of the things that were required of them by Heather and the other sorority sisters. And so that night, Heather decided to take these nine pledges, pledges on a punishment trip. Um, Heather and Nicole, 
Um, and so each pledge was blindfolded and were crammed into a 1995 Jeep Cherokee that Nicole was driving. Um, and so the intent was for Heather and Nicole to drive them around somewhat recklessly enough to scare them and then drop them off in the middle of nowhere, leaving them to find their way home, which screw you. Like what? <laughs> like, Oh, wait, like not to go on another tangent, but like, that's a game that I used to play in high school, like what? a couple times with like your friends. Like, so I think that there'd be two drivers and then like two groups so you'd be in the group with the one driver you'd be blindfolded and they would go drop you off in a random location and you would be on the phone with your driver to like come find you um i think this was before you know we had like gps and like more advanced cell phones and mm-hmm. stuff but at, you had like you were in civilization and like your driver was coming to get you i mean so not quite the only games I ever played with my friends in high school was Monopoly, so <laughs> whatever. I <laughs> guess you just weren't very cool, Natalie. So yeah, Nicole was driving somewhat recklessly, um, and the intent was just drop them off somewhere um, and so they could find their way home. And so New Hampshire police said that just before um, the accident, Nicole was driving erratically, rocking the Jeep back and forth and slamming on the the brakes from time to time. The pledges were all sitting on the floor of the Jeep, so they put all the seats down and then crammed like seven or eight girls or whatever in the back. Um, and so that day the road was really slick. And so Nicole wasn't driving carefully, as I just described, and the car flipped. Kelly Nestor, one of the pledges um, being punished, was thrown from the vehicle and died from blunt force injuries um, to her head and torso. Unfortunately for Kelly and her family, the other pledges in the vehicle that day refused to cooperate with the investigation. Um, Given that none of the women were talking, no formal charges were ever brought against Nicole or Heather, but a civil suit was brought against them and the university by Kelly's family. Um, I couldn't find the outcome of the lawsuit online, but uh, disclaimer, I didn't search that hard. Um, I did a couple Googles. It didn't come up. I moved on with my life. Um, And so that, I mean, I guess technically they were not charged with a crime, but in my opinion, they did commit a crime. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, if only, you know, as the owner of said vehicle for you to put all of the seats down and then put nine people in a car that's probably meant to only sit five. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that in and of itself is at least, you know, worth a ticket, you know? Um, so it was really unfortunate that a, I think she was like 20 or 19, something like that, that a young, you know, woman died. Um, right. Yeah. And as far as, as hazing goes, I think, um, you know, in, in many different states uh, that there are, are laws changing that are that are making hazing illegal. Um, so something like this hopefully would be considered illegal because it's just such, you know, it'd be one thing if she was just driving and accidentally being reckless and it resulted in an accident. But this was deliberately trying to, you know, psychologically harm some people. So that is concerning in itself. Next case is um, in 2009, Sierra Smith, a member of the Delta Sigma Theta sorority, um, which my cousin is in that sorority, um, was arrested and charged with two counts of simple assault. 
A pledge named Jasmine Johnson accused five members of Delta, including Sierra, of conducting hazing rituals in which they kicked and punched the pledges repeatedly. Jasmine also reported that Sierra and friends filled a water gun up with vinegar and repeatedly squirted it into the pledge's eyes. I'm just like, who thinks of that? Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, um, equally, and I'm not trying to victim blame, but I don't fully understand someone who will withstand that for entry into this. But, you know, obviously, especially I don't know what it's like in white sororities, but I especially know in like black sororities and Delta Sigma Theta is a black sorority. Um, like there often is like a very strong like maternal, I guess, like legacy. So like your mom was in that or your grandmother um, and your aunts and sisters. And so like feeling mm-hmm. like a really strong like need to be in it. And then you also depending on which one you join there often are like honorary members or members um that are like prominent black women like i think michelle obama's an honorary um alpha kappa alpha alpha mm-hmm. um and like Jarrell's aunt is like a big aka and like everything is pink and green um like that's awesome everywhere it's like so intense <laughs> anyway, so additionally, um, the sorority sisters poured cold water, syrup, and milk on the pledges. Uh, Jasmine described that they would also place an egg on her. So let's say that she they they would have her like lay on the ground, and let's say they put the egg like on her belly button. Mm-hmm. They would then, um, so like one of the sisters, including Sierra, would then punch or kick her as hard as they could to break the egg um and they again that wasn't like a one-off thing like they were putting an egg on your head and like stomping if they needed to like these people were i don't understand why they i don't i don't understand the imagination that decided to do this to be honest um and so, yeah, that was a repeated thing. And so on top of that, um, just, you know, icing on the cake, Jasmine um, said that they also um, routinely were beating her with a wooden paddle. On separate occasions, Jasmine found found herself in the emergency department, um, first with a concussion, concussion caused by those beatings. On another occasion, Jasmine went to the hospital with severe injuries. Sierra and the other sorority sisters had beaten Jasmine so bad that they caused her severe, painful vaginal bleeding. Um, And so it's not surprising that Sierra was arrested for her involvement. I'm not sure why the other sorority members weren't involved or, or sorry, weren't named or arrested. Um... I, I'm, I guess my assumption here, and it could be wrong, is perhaps Jasmine was the main one for, like, the two incidences that led... Um, sorry, not Jasmine. Sierra was the main one um, who was responsible for the two incidences that led Jasmine to the hospital, like, those two times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, like, a paper trail, I guess, for that. Um and ultimately, Sierra uh, pled guilty to the charges of simple assault. I think it was two counts of simple assault. Um, mm-hmm. So that was that one. Any thoughts on that? 
that's just straight up assault. <laughs> I don't know, like, how people can justify that in their minds. Is like, this is hazing. This is mm-hmm. whatever. Of, like, I'm straight up assault. Like, why is it okay in this context? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I'm reiterating again, like, I don't understand, like, why you would think to even do that. Like, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. Um, Weird imagination you have. So the final one that I'm going to share happened in 2010. So in 2010, Ileana Warner, Vanessa Adigbite, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Um, It's either, and then this one's either Keisha or Kesha, Sharon, Joanna Bernard, Marie Charles, um, Sean, and Shauna Ebanks, um, members of the Sigma Gamma Rho sorority at Rutgers, were arrested and charged uh, with hazing pledges. The arrests and charges came after a pledge of the Sigma Gamma Gamma Rho sorority went to the hospital after allegedly being beaten with paddles. The victim had blood clots and welts on her buttocks that made it too painful for her to sit. The wounds were the result of approximately 200 beatings that had taken place over the course of eight days at a student complex apartment. Um, The women uh, charged with hazing all denied that the event ever happened, um, and they all pled not guilty to the charges. In response to the event, Rutgers suspended their chapter of Sigma Gamma Rho, and so did the sorority's national organization. Sigma Gamma Rho also issued a statement on the incident with the headline, Sorority Leadership Reports Alleged Acts of Hazing at Rutgers Are Against All organization guidelines. Sigma Gamma Rho's international president, Joanne Loveless, emphasized that hazing is illegal and barbaric and it will not be tolerated by Sigma Gamma Rho. Um, A Rutgers student who was friends with the girls in that sorority, um, particularly the girls, the pledges in that sorority, said, um, so she was interviewed, I think, by like ABC or CBS, something, I don't know. And she said, people are just more upset that the that this girl ratted. Some people actually found out who the girl is. Are you, what? I was just like, what? No. <laughs> um, some people actually found out who that girl, who the girl that ratted is. And she is being shunned now. They probably won't like ever, ever talk to her. Snitches get stitches? (laughs) Um, She was like, they probably like won't ever talk to her at Greek events or anything. And all I can think is why like She's better off without you. Good. Yeah. Like, don't talk to me, you weirdos. Like, you violent, crazy people who support violence. (laughs) Like, um, but yeah, so that's fun childish culture there um and so the original charges against the sorority members were aggravated hazing but the middlesex county prosecutor's office downgraded the charges from indictable fourth degree from the indictable fourth degree offense to simple hazing which is basically a disorderly person's offense saying that the incident did not rise to the level of more of a more serious charge um which is interesting to me because i feel like in any other setting like you beating somebody 200 times is just assault and so i don't like like you see times where you know somebody steals something right and they get charged mm-hmm. with like multiple types of theft over like one thing 
Um, and so in this case, I don't see why it wouldn't have been like a charge of, you know, maybe simple hazing and aggravated assault because it is assault that was right. aggravated. Um, but because of that, effectively, it was no different than like them getting a ticket. Um, mm-hmm. And so that ended up being the, I guess, end results of the Rutgers sorority Sigma Gamma Rho hazing case um so i don't necessarily feel like justice was served there for the victims but yeah sororities hazing great right (laughs) it's all great and well that's where it's hard with like these giant overarching organizations i think things differ so much from school to school um from you know sorority to sorority that like it's i mean obviously they can pass down at the top level say like don't don't do that and they can you know ban people after the fact but like if you just get like a couple of terrible people in the mix um and then a lot of it too is probably like think about how much group think impacts like whether or not like oh if this person was assaulted by the people before them and they said it's okay like this is what we do um you're still making a choice to like carry on that assault which is Mm -hmm. like ridiculous but um it's also i think relating you mentioned like the stanford um prison study earlier which Mm -hmm. if you don't know what that is i always find it super fascinating so definitely look it up watch the documentary thing the movie is good too um i don't know if it's still on netflix but it's awesome yeah the documentary is also pretty good like they have good film on it as well um it's shocking (laughs) not i guess not shocking but i don't know somewhat like wow um but it's like one of those things where let's say these girls the sorority members were not hazed like this let's say they have some other like stupid hazing like sleep deprivation or something which is also like a horrible thing to do to somebody mm-hmm. um but then like taking it a step further because you have power or mm-hmm. if you just kind of came up with it out of nowhere because you have power and you know i'm sure individually a lot of these people especially of the um ones where like the more violent cases um i'm sure before this incident during after if you asked these sorority members individually are you a violent person do you like how do you feel about violence um they probably would be like no no that's awful violence no i never do that yeah yeah and so it's just interesting like a kind of like what you said that group think and seeing you know like maybe even the suggestion of like from one person of this like crazy thing to do um how it can just people will take it run with it accept it and then you know use their power for nothing good let's go i'm so ready okay Um, So I am doing the case of Brenda Spencer, who is, I think, probably one of the only female school shooters. I think it's much more common for for, um, you know, young men to to do that. Um, So I'm sure there's other cases that are out there. But this is, I think, probably one of the most well-known ones in in America, at least. Um, So on January 29th, 1979, 16-year-old Brenda Spencer opened fire on the students and staff at Grover Cleveland Elementary School in San Diego, California. 
Brenda lived across the street from the school, and she used a 22 caliber rifle, was responsible for killing two adults and injuring eight students and a police officer. Um, there's a lot to unpack with this story. Uh, the portrayals of Brenda in the media were very much influenced by a statement she gave to a reporter before giving herself up to the police. She said, I just started shooting. That's it. I just did it for the fun of it. I just don't like Mondays. I just did it because it's a way to cheer the day up. Nobody likes Mondays. I just didn't like Mondays. But Wow. Yes. I hear that. And when I get into her story a little bit more, I think it'll explain yeah. a lot. But I don't think that this sounds like a person who has any idea what they're saying. So Bob Geldof of the band Boomtown Rats what a name, um, was inspired to write the song I Don't Like Mondays based on Brenda's statement. He was doing a radio interview in Atlanta and read the news as it came on a telex machine, and he was horrified that someone might be influenced to commit such a horrible crime because they didn't like Mondays. He said it was a senseless act with a senseless reason, so he was inspired to write a senseless song to illustrate it. Um, he also stressed it was not an attempt to exploit tragedy, which um, I, I like read through the lyrics of the song, and I think that's fair. You know, I think school shootings are something that impacts everyone in the nation in different ways. It's just a very scary, intense crime. Um, but the song portrays Brenda in a bad light, clearly, uh, with song lyrics like, Mother feels so shocked, father's world is rocked, and their thoughts turn to their own little girl sweet 16 ain't that peachy keen um so i think the song at least my interpretation of it was like oh mom and dad's like perfect little girl isn't so perfect but it wasn't actually the case here and i think as i'm you know telling what i saw in this story i wonder if a lot of the investigation was influenced because we didn't have as good of a handle on mental health back then um and I think it just very much demonized Brenda. Of course, she did these, this horrible thing. So I think it would be hard not to, but she was also the victim um, in, in a lot of ways. So she was born on April 3rd, 1962. Her parents had separated and Brenda lived with her father, Wallace Spencer. They both slept on a single mattress on the living room floor and her father struggled with alcohol abuse and their home was strewn with empty liquor bottles, which... So from the start, that is extremely inappropriate that a 16-year-old girl should be sharing a single mattress with her father. Yeah. Um, and there was, according to Brenda, sexual abuse in the home as well. Um, and then alcohol just was readily available to her. So Brenda, Brenda would drink as well. She didn't have her parents stepping in and saying, you're not allowed to do this, or her parents setting rules for her. Um, so people who knew Brenda knew she had expressed anger towards policemen and had even spoken about shooting an officer or doing something big to get on television. And at the time of the shooting, Brenda was attending Patrick Henry High School, and one teacher remarked she had to frequently ask Brenda if she was awake during class. So to me, it just it's clear that there was problems in the home. Um, 
So when she was later in custody, it was discovered that Brenda had an injury to her temporal lobe, and this was attributed to a bike accident. As we've discussed on this podcast, injuries on the temporal lobe can result in changes in personality traits, disturbances of emotional behavior, and impairment of cognitive functions. So we can't say for sure whether this had an effect, but you know, it certainly is something to take into consideration. Um, there were signs that Brenda was struggling up until this point. In 1978, Brenda disclosed to staff um, at a facility for problem students where Brenda had been sent after truancy that um, told her parents she was having suicidal thoughts. So Brenda disclosed this to the counselors. The counselors told the parents. The parents didn't appear to do anything about it. And Brenda had further brushes with authority after she was arrested for shooting out the windows of Grover Cleveland Elementary with a BB gun. Um, And she was also arrested for burglary. So in December of that year, her probation officer recommended that Brenda should be admitted to a mental hospital to be treated for depression after a psychiatric evaluation. But her father refused to give permission, and in Christmas of that year, he gave her the 22 caliber, caliber rifle that she would later use in the shooting. Brenda said she'd asked for a radio. Instead, she was given a gun, and she said, I felt like he wanted me to kill myself. Because what kind of message does that send to your child if you say that you are suicidal? And you should absolutely cut off access to, like, yeah. deadly weapons. Definitely uh. definitely don't, you know, make any suggestions and, like, even through gifts, you know, that it, um, can encourage or imply um violence in any way i think (laughs) so absolutely and also just practice practicing good gun safety no matter what mental state people in your home are or i think children uh, people under the age of 18 should not have access to guns without their parents uh supervision or you know there should be some level of there should be gun locks they should be kept away in a safe if you know that's not possible it's just like to me, I feel like the parents are just as much responsible in this case. Like, I think the parents should have been. I don't know if there's any law that you can, like, try, but that's just, like, absurd to me. Absurd. So on the morning, of, on the Monday morning of January 29th, Brenda began shooting at the children who were waiting for their principal, Burton Rag, to open the gates of the school. Burton was shot and killed by Brenda while he was trying to help get children to safety. He was 53 years old at the time of his death. Mike Shuhar, a custodian at the school, was also killed by Brenda as he was trying to pull a student to safety. Supposedly, Burton and Mike didn't get along very well, but Mike did not hesitate to run out and try and help when he saw Burton laying in uh, in the parking lot. That's Mike, sad. I know. Mike was a veteran and had been on uh, CBs, a Navy construction battalion, along World War II. So it's possible that, you know, his his combat training or being familiar with combat, you know, just kind of kicked his instincts into gear. Um, The children involved in the shooting would later speak out about how they felt that day. One of the children, Charles Cam Miller, was shot in the back and the bullet pierced through the front of his body. He was nine years old at the time and still has a visible scar on his chest. He recalled that his mother had just dropped him off at school around 8.30 a.m. He saw the principal and the custodian laying in the parking lot. 
He remembers feeling a sharp pain and blacking out for a moment. A neighbor girl helped him inside and uh, got him in the school building as they waited in the auditorium for an ambulance. Cam believes he was targeted because he was wearing a down vest in Brenda's favorite color, blue. It was believed that Brenda was specifically targeting children in down coats, as she was later quoted saying she enjoyed seeing the feathers fly. A police officer, Robert Robb, was shot in the neck by Brenda when he responded to a call asking for assistance during the incident. He was later awarded a Medal of Honor for trying to save those who had been shot. They were able to avoid any additional casualties or injuries by moving a garbage truck in front of her house, thereby obstructing her line of fire. So Brenda barricaded herself in her home um, for hours after firing 36 total shots, 11 of which hit their mark. While inside, she spoke to a reporter from the San Diego Union-Tribune who reached her by calling random telephone numbers in the neighborhood, which, like, you're interfering with an active crime scene as a reporter. That's insane. Like, to me, I can't even wrap my my head around that, that um, a reporter would interfere with that investigation. Like, what if she said something that frustrated Brenda? What if she... or? What if they provoked her? I don't know if it was a woman who called. Mm-hmm. But like, what if they provoked her in some way? What if they gave away information that they were trying to, you know, save? To me, it's just like wild that this that this happened. That seems to be crossing a boundary, just like trying to get a story. It went too far. Um, luckily, I don't think it interfered with the investigation or, you know, trying to get her out of like this uh, standoff. But uh, this is when they got the infamous Monday quote from from Brenda. Um, Brenda was also talking to police negotiators, and she told them that the children and adults she shot were easy targets, and she planned to come out shooting when she came out of her home. She eventually surrendered after more than six hours and left her house after being promised a Burger King meal by negotiators. (laughs) When the police entered the home, they found beer and whiskey bottles scattered all over, just like I said before, but Brenda did not appear to be intoxicated when she was arrested. They also found about 200 rounds of unspent ammunition, which is crazy. Like, it could have just ended up being so much more dangerous than it was. Um, Also, like, why does a child have access to 200 rounds of ammunition? Doesn't doesn't seem like a very good idea. Brenda would later be charged as an adult in court. She pled guilty to two counts of murder. Nine counts of attempted murder were dismissed. So Brenda was sentenced to concurrent terms of 25 years to life in prison. So the sentences would be served at the same time. 14 years later, she was interviewed on San Diego's News 8. Uh, So from Brenda's side, and, you know, this is this is all her perspective. So I'm not going to, you know, say that I confirmed this information on other sources. But this is this is what she said. So she said that she was hallucinating after drinking whiskey for a week and after using PCP, which was purchased at her school. PCP is something that a drug that can cause psychosis, especially uh, considering she was drinking heavily. And if there were other medications in the mix, I feel like this would put her at an even higher risk for experiencing psychosis, you know, kind of an altered state of mind. PCP is one of those drugs that I'm like, where do you find that? Like New York 
in the 70s. Okay, well, yeah, this case took place in, in the 70s. Because me, to yeah. me, part of me, like, also, you know, this is a protective factor for Brenda. It could be possible that she was lying about mm-hmm. um, being on PCP as a means to kind of lessen what what she was. But I think it, you're right. It was, like, much bigger in the, the 70s around yeah. this time. So maybe it was easier to get. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, clearly she had access to alcohol and had probably been drinking pretty regularly. Um, so she said she remembers loading the rifle, but things got fuzzy after that. She doesn't remember the week before. Um, and, you know, she kind of remembers coming down the week after. But uh, she so she believes she committed manslaughter and not first degree murder, which is what she um, pled guilty to. In, in the sense, she's still taking responsibility, but she's saying that she didn't plan it beforehand. Um, and she said she does feel guilt over the lives that, that were lost. In prison, she had to grow up really quickly. She's trying to better herself. She got off drugs, clearly, although it is possible to get drugs while you're in prison. Um, she said she was trying to work through her family problems, which clearly there was um, a lot of family problems. And she wants to get out of prison and, and have a normal life. She said, you know, I mean, she she went in when she was 16, so she doesn't know what it's like in the world. Um, and she never had a trial because she she took a plea deal, but would like one um, because, again, she doesn't believe that she committed first degree mor- murder. She doesn't believe it was premeditated. So, like she she said, she'd been drinking the entire week before um, and had been experiencing fragmented memory. Um so the interviewer was like challenging her and said, you knowingly loaded the gun and you shot at people. And Brenda said, well, the scope to the gun was not affixed properly, which made it difficult to aim. Um, she said she was aiming at commander types and it didn't register with her that there were regular people in the background, um, which I think is kind of consistent with being in a state of like psychosis or um just having like altered state of mind um the interviewer asked uh why her father gave her a gun um she was suicidal and also on drugs and he had been informed of this by the school counselors and she i mean no good answer there and she doesn't remember saying that i hate monday's quote and agreed that you know that quote makes me sound like a cold-blooded heartless killer um she showed remorse in the interview saying she hoped she didn't scar the people involved for life she hoped she hadn't done permanent damage psychologically and that people that were involved were able to continue on and have a good life and she wanted to be let out of prison for a second chance and she said she knows she wasn't getting the help she needed at the time you know as far as counseling as far as far as like substance abuse treatment which i think is fair like i'm not sure that this would have happened had her parents not you know been abusive to her in these situations had she not been you know using mind-altering substances um so brenda's former attorney michael glynn or michael micklin who had been representing juvenile offenders for decades believed that brenda didn't know what she was doing um and no longer poses a threat to society So he was not hired to represent Brenda in any of her later parole hearings, but she did write him a letter in 2015 thanking him for his work. In her letter, she wrote, What I did was horrible, so I don't really complain about the amount of time I've done. 
Brenda disclosed to Michael that she was sexually abused by her father, and it was under his influence that she began dressing as a boy. So early on, you know, kind of was having some some struggles with identity, and her father was the one who taught her to hunt and shoot. An incredibly messed up turn of events, her father married her 17-year-old juvenile hall cellmate. What? And they later got divorced. That is just... I don't like that. It. Just like shows, like okay, Brenda was not set up for success, guys. Like mm-hmm. her dad sounds like a total creep. Um, he passed away at the age of eighty-seven in twenty sixteen. So Michael pointed out the morning of the shooting that Brenda drank alcohol and took her ap- epilepsy medication, tergretol, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, He said that she was in a zombie-like state, and after she was in prison and was able to detox, then, you know, after that, she just wasn't a a danger anymore to society. Um, So according to drugs.com, you should avoid or limit the use of alcohol while being treated with carbamazepine, which is tergerahol. I'm so bad at (laughs) pronouncing medications. I'm sorry. I did my best. No one knows what you're talking about now. (laughs) I felt like a lawyer when I was like looking through these. um... So alcohol can increase the nervous system side effects of that medication like dizziness, drowsiness, difficulty concentrating, and some people may also experience impairment in thinking and judgment. So again, just like another kind of avenue that we can point to and say there were maybe other considerations in this case that her thinking could have been impacted by these other things. Um, The website also says possible side effects of this medication, although they are less common, can be suicidal thoughts or having a sense of detachment from self or body. And again, we don't know if the medications caused these thoughts that she was having, but it sounds like at the very least, this should have been taken into account by medical professionals and maybe another medication should have been considered. Um, You know, I think if you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, one of the things that they do take a look at is what medications are you on and is this a possible side effect? Um, and I, they don't recommend certain medications if, if you have suicidal thoughts for that reason. I always like, it, well, back when I was watching commercials, I feel like I never do anymore. Whenever it would be like, this is a skin cream, possible side effects, suicidal ideation. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, why would why I use that? are they even that? allowed to like... It, they shouldn't even let they shouldn't even advertise for like prescription medications uh, it, no that's that's problem number one yes yes but because it, it is so startling because there are all these side effects that need to be taken into consideration mm-hmm. um, because we don't know I mean obviously the, there was a traumatic background um, mm-hmm. she was abusing substances and if she was also on this medication <laughs> and I think that her seizures were as a result of her head injury so it's like all these things are coming together that's like it should have been caught somewhere before it ended up getting to this Mm -hmm. um so there's conflicting information about brenda's state uh of mind at the time of the shooting richard Sachs, the san diego county or san diego county deputy district attorney who formally opposed parole for brenda said she hurt so many people and she had so much to do with starting a deadly trend in america 
Um, but so Brenda's was not the first mass shooting, uh, mass school shooting. Before Brenda, there was the 1966 shooting at the University of Texas, where a gunman killed 17 people and wounded 31. And then there was the 1976 shooting at Cal State Fullerton, where seven people were killed and two were wounded. And in these cases, both of the killers were men. So I don't think that this case, you know, set off any anything that hadn't been experienced by by society or by the nation before. So the school was eventually sold and torn down. They built homes in the nine-acre site with prices starting at $700,000, and the developer of the property installed a memorial to the principal and janitor who were killed in the shooting. Burton's wife, Kathy Ragg, and her daughter, Penny, attended parole hearings to oppose Brenda's release from prison. They have since passed away, and the two surviving sons don't like to speak publicly about his death. Haley Ragg, granddaughter of Kathy and Burton, um, was not alive at the time of his death, but learned as a child to fear Brenda's release from prison. She would say in an interview, I know there was a lot of turmoil in the family every time Brenda was up for parole. I was so young, I didn't understand it. I felt really scared, like she'd come after me. I felt like letting this person out of her cage would harm my family members even more. Haley broke the silence, uh, the family silence, when she told her grandfather's story on a video for Safe Kids Inc., an organization that develops school safety curricula and guides for parents. And she said, My grandfather and the janitor threw themselves at the kids that were being shot that morning to save lives and in process lost their own life. I may not have grown up with a grandpa, but many children grew up to have their own families, which is very touching. And I think from the perspective of of the victim and the victim's families, I think it would be hard to separate yourself and say and recognize that Brenda was a victim in in many senses. Um, But at the same time, she was like a kid when this happened. She if it was my own family, I'm sure I would feel exactly the same way. It would be so difficult to process, so difficult to understand. I don't think that I could, you know, forgive a person for that. But two, it's just like you heard her backstory. Like it's nuts. It's not. She yeah. not have an easy life. Um, and so Brenda is still in the California Institution for Women in Corona, which felt a little triggered hearing that word. But I love how you say Corona, and my first thought is, oh, decent beer. <laughs> oh, I was thinking global pandemic, but yeah, <laughs> just me. Um, so she's been denied parole several times, and according to the article in the San Diego Union Tribe, where I got the majority of my information, Brenda will be up for parole again this year. But so it just said she's up for parole in 2021. So I don't mm-hmm. know how it's impacted by COVID 19, since I think at the time of the article that yeah. uh, this was not a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the story of Brenda Spencer. Yeah, I, I, our justice system is just odd, of course. Just thinking back to our like child murderer cases, um, like my person um, was based out of England, Mary Ball, um, who like cold-bloodedly with like her own hands like committed Mm -hmm. you know several murders and you know um they quote unquote rehabilitated her for maybe like 12 years which she was in prison something Mm -hmm. around that time and then went back out into society and as far as we know has you know lived a 
like a crime-free life and so it's just like I think more than any other like time period there is a possibility for rehabilitation of like criminals who are under a certain age you know Mm -hmm. um especially when you take into account um people's like traumas and their backstories even thinking about adults like the case that i did for executions um lisa i'm blanking on her last name um who unfortunately was executed earlier this year like all of the heinous things that happened to her as a child um Mm -hmm. from abuse and sexual assault and being threatened with murder from her own mother um like it doesn't justify like the crime that she committed but i do think understanding the mental injury that certain things cause or certain experiences cause needs to be taken into account or there needs to be a better effort rather to understand those things um Mm -hmm. in like crime it's you know i feel like certain certain actions are a symptom of the trauma Mm -hmm. um but that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is like you know they're broken like Mm -hmm. forever now you know um so it's disappointing um right it's disappointing what she did that's awful of course um and the it's very unfortunate for the victims um but it it just seems a little much for her to still you know <laughs> right she's a i mean essentially she's a different person at this point like mm-hmm. um and if for whatever reason they believe that she was still a danger to society then absolutely then don't don't release her back into the world but um i think it's yeah it's just not fair mm-hmm. and you're absolutely right hurt people hurt people i think yeah. that there are probably very you know few cases in this world where someone's had an absolutely perfect life and then they just turn to a life of like murder and crime for fun i think crime is often comes from you know uh being like lacking resources um from having experienced trauma and then you you know kind of do the thing that that's where it's like when people are very one-sided with those who sexually abuse others um it's probably pretty likely that they were victims of sexual abuse themselves Mm -hmm. um and it's just a cycle so how do we deliver this rehabilitation earlier on before the crimes start um is is a thing that i think we need to focus on and i think um since there's been a lot of research being done on uh, like the ACE study, adverse childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, since we've learned how much that can, you know, impact whether or not we end up committing crimes, but also like our health later on in life, our health in adulthood is very much impacted by trauma we may have experienced as children. Um, oh, that's my research interest yeah. for grad school. <laughs> I love it. It's, well, I don't love that children have experienced dramatic um things but it just it shows you how important and like how fragile you are during that period and how you know (laughs) early intervention that's like my only if you only take away one thing from from this podcast but yeah i think in the case of brenda it's just the media portrayed her as just like this evil heartless person yeah um 
So it's really kind of hard to get an understanding of how much, you know, was she actually in the right state of mind when all this occurred? Um, I don't, I honestly don't think she was. So that's, that's my two cents on it. Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.